evening and welcome to El Fumar Takes. This is our 158th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, a show 158 takes in the making, long overdue, but so pleased to have this gentleman that will be joining us in just a moment. But before we get to formal introductions, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible, and that, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate announced recently the new shelf-friendly boxes for undercrown sizes. The new box design looks almost identical to the award-winning current design, and the boxes continue to contain 25 cigars. The major difference and improvement lies in the shelf-friendly, more compact format, which enables premium cigar retailers to stock more boxes of your favorite undercrown cigars. The new boxes will roll out for all undercrown lines, including Maduro, Shade, and sun-grown, while the boxes for the Flying Pig, Tubo, and Corona Pequeno will remain unchanged. Additionally, the UPC codes for all Undercrown boxes and single cigars will be unaffected. So, if you like Undercrown cigars, stock them up today for your own personal humidor, because now you can fit even more inside your humidor, thanks to the folks at Drew Estate. Tonight's show is also sponsored by Oveja Negra Brands, four unique companies who share a passion to provide innovative cigars for the next generation of cigar enthusiasts. Black Label Trading Company, Blackwork Studio, Dissonant, and Emilio are combining premium tobacco with an artisanal touch. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock. Visit ovejanegracigars.com to learn more. And welcome, everybody. This is our 158th take. And it is my pleasure, my privilege, to introduce tonight's guest, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united. Mr. Justo Iroa of JRE Tobacco. Justo, how are we doing tonight? Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Uh, it's actually my honor to be with you guys uh, tonight. And thank you so much, Bear, for you know considering us for tonight. Uh, Justo, believe me, this is this is my pleasure. This is my honor. I've been waiting for I've been waiting for this opportunity for a long time. I, you know, I had the privilege of interviewing in a very brief interview at Michael's Tobacco, of course, uh, a couple years ago, and uh, I think we spent a, like 15 minutes on camera, but probably an hour together that night altogether. And I I learned so much in that small amount of time. I, I just I can't wait uh, for tonight just to to learn more and, and to pick your brain a little bit more and to understand the legacy and the impact that your family and the cigars that you make and the tobacco that you grow uh, does for our industry. Well, I appreciate it so much. And, you know, like I said, it's for me, it's, it's a true privilege being with you guys tonight. And, you know, that time in the humidor was, it was great. I was getting, it was, I was pretty new to interviews and, you know, I was a little rusty and asked us, so as you go to and visit more shops and you, you, you talk to more people, you get a little bit more comfortable, uh, you know, and, and speaking a little bit more. So hopefully it should go smooth tonight. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, f speaking of humidors and obviously cigars and everything, we got a couple cigars here. Uh, I'm about to light up the, uh, the Aladino Cameroon, uh, the Super Toro. Uh, what uh, what did you decide to light up first tonight? Well, actually, I also went with a, with a Cameroon, but I'm doing a robusto. Uh, I, I, like I was saying before the the show, what I get what I get in samples of robusto. So uh, you know, I, I, that's what I got to work with. So you guys get you, you know you guys get better sizes. But I'll 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 start you know building up my humidor now at home with with more variety of sizes. So. A while back, I was I was I was listening to an interview that you did, um, where you were you were talking about how how much you really actually love the Lancero format, um, 
now that's that's obviously a, a format that you know it creates a lot of buzz and controversy because cigar nerds like me and the you know the aficionados love it retailers not so much because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't sell typically um but you're but you but you're a lancero fan well we're a lancero fan and actually uh, our lancero does extremely well uh today our portfolio carries uh two lanceros which is the regular corojo and our maduro with san andres wrapper and uh jay davis at blue smoke uh uh we're we'll be coming out with uh he's one of our partner stores that visit the farm and uh for his 10th anniversary uh we made a special order of, uh, I think, about 120 boxes of uh, the new Lancero in a Cameroon wrapper, which is a phenomenal and fantastic cigar. Uh, I just had uh, 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 Lonnie Davids from Colorado send me a box for him to sign it uh, that he purchased from Blue Smoke. And, you know, a lot of people are asking me, hey, so the only thing you got to do is got to go to Jay Davis, Blue Smoke of Dallas and order him there. So uh, he's gotten since November and... Uh, so that's going to be our third Lancero wrapper and, and sometime also in, uh, by TPE, we should also be la launching the Aladino vintage, uh, Lancero too. So you'll have a Habana wrapper, you'll have oh, a, wow. wrapper, a San Andres wrapper and a Corojo, uh, true Puro. So, you know, our, our Lancero line is expanding, uh, to have, you know, four, four, four options. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty good for for the Aladino line. We do really well with the Lanceros, and they retail for about eight bucks. So it's, it's you can't beat that. It's it's, it's probably one of the best construction uh, that you'll see in the Lancero in the industry. And uh, and, and uh, price wise, we try to keep it very 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 accessible to all the consumers. You you definitely have one of the more approachable Lancero formats because you can typically see you know I mean the typical price for a Lancero you know almost any Lancero on the market is 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 about ten twelve bucks. You know, again, depending on where you are geographically, depending on taxes and stuff like that. But I am, you know, at eight, seven, eight dollars. I mean, it, it's definitely one of the more approachable uh, Lanceros. And, you know, as we're going to get into tonight, the tobacco is phenomenal. So, of course, the smoke is great. Um, but something else your family was known for back in the day. This is something that I found really interesting. Um, so, uh, as, as many of my audience knows, um, I partner with Cigar Coop uh, for Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, and we had our Candela episode this past Tuesday, and um, I was excited to learn, uh, for two reasons, because I have a story behind it, but I was excited to learn that um, the Iroa family uh, played a prominent uh, part in American market selection, also known as Candela Wrapper, back in the 70s and 80s, as far back as the 60s. Um, I mean, so Gusto, I mean, talk about a little bit about the uh, the impact that your family had on the the, the mysterious Candela wrapper, or it wasn't so mysterious back then. It it is now today a little bit more uh, a little bit more mysterious. Well, yeah, you know, Candela back in the '80s was the probably the predominant uh, wrapper that was being sold, but but everything was made in you know machine made cigars, and uh, actually back uh, I would say late '80s. Uh, we were probably growing like 500,000 pounds a year and everything with all the, all the crops were sold. Uh, Consolidated Cigar, I think, was uh, the, the, probably the biggest uh, customer that we had. And uh, with the U.S. Tobacco, we teamed up and we actually had the first uh, uh, bovine operation of, you know, cutting, cutting, uh, cutting the, uh, the wrapper and putting on a bovine and then being shipped to House of Windsor 
for them to later uh, put in the machines and, and put on the, the, the candela wrapper. That's actually when, when my dad started using, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s, uh, you know, the big, the big uh, machines, the, to, 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 uh, the rolling machines so you could put on the humidity. That's where we actually first started using them because the amount of tobacco we were processing to, to cut and, and, and put the wrappers on, on, the, on the bovines was, it was, it was just huge amounts of products. And, and, the, and the factory actually ran probably 24 seven, uh, you know, making bovines with, 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 the, with the candela wrappers. So it was, and I was very young. I still remember the guys coming from, I think it was from Holland or the Netherlands uh, and, and they were putting all brand new machines. I think they were probably like 18 or 20 or, or I don't remember how many, probably easily 20 or plus machines doing bovines. So it, it, was, it was a very interesting operation way back then. But it, the Candela unfortunately has died down, uh, but I guess it's, you know, times change. And, but you know what, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll Hopefully, uh, surprise everyone coming out with a candela soon. Well, I, that's uh, so that's that's exciting to hear because I mean I I, I was going to ask simply about that because of the because of the historical impact that your family had on candela if that was something that you guys would be considering uh, you know approaching at some time in the future. So. Well, I. I during the last couple crops, since I've been, you know, always with my dad, I was able to go down in January and, and uh, be with him uh, for, you know, for about a week. I said, hey, you know, we got a crop coming up. Let's try a little bit of, uh, of candela. And, uh, and, and, you know, he actually burned probably maybe about an eighth of a house because uh, you have to, you know, put what you do with the candela. Once what the, the reason that candela is green is because during 48 hours, what you try to do is fixate the color of the, of the, of the chlorophyll in the leaf. Uh, and while you, normal tobacco will stay in the barn between 40 and 45 days, losing the, the chlorophyll and turning brown. And, and, and we're doing the reverse. So, uh, you know, it requires uh, a lot of heat, but also requires a combination of uh, a little bit of humidity so you, so you don't overcrack it. So it's, it's, it's tricky, but it's, it's a 48 hour process, 48 to 70 hour process. That's, uh, wow. I mean, that, that's, that's something that I think that a lot of people don't realize how, um, because they think that, I, I, I heard this, this really ignorant comment one time when I, was in a, when I was in a cigar shop about how that Candela was like the, the lazy, the lazy way out. And I was like, I, I don't think that's right. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, I mean, not, I mean, ne necessarily more challenging, but certainly challenging in itself because you have to, you have to main, it has to maintain its color. Um, and I have something to show here in a second to kind of refer how difficult this is, but I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult process. Not only is it, it does it require knowledge, but also the maintaining the color requires also, uh, you know, maintain it in, 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 in cool storage, because then you, the last thing you want to do is, is, is get, the, the, get the candela to darken itself and, and lose the, the properties that you fixated at once. So it's very important to take care of the tobacco after you make it into a candela. So you have to go into refrigeration. So it's also very expensive to do that. And, you know, nothing in tobacco is, is easy because before you get harvested, you already went easily over 100 days into a crop. So there's no easy way out. It's, it's just a shorter process because you're not aging the tobacco. But, you know, it's, 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 you still have to go through the whole crop and, you know, pray that you don't, you, you get enough rain, but not so much rain. And, you know, you get 
uh, nice warm weather and you don't get cool weather and then not everybody shows up to work and then you know you don't have like, excess winds and that you don't have a plague or you don't have the blue mold so you know uh, getting a crop out there just to get the candela it still you still takes all the same risks so i want to i want to bring out a little bit of an artifact um and uh, this was something that I've, I've talked about on previous shows. So on my, on my, um, on my honeymoon, uh, which is now almost 11 years ago to the day, um, and, uh, you know, because my anniversary is next month, my, my wife and I had our honeymoon in San Antonio, Texas. Now, I didn't go into like Fink's or, you know, Club Humidor or any of the, the big stores down there. This was a, a, a small little shop off the, off the river walk and everything. And I found something really interesting that in the time in my smoking, my smoking career, Again, we just talked about the significance of Candela and your family and everything. So, but at the time, I, I just was like bizarre. Like I was like, I didn't think that this even existed. And I came, I came across a Camacho Corojo uh, Monarca Candela, and here it is. Beautiful. That uh, that is a pretty sight. That is one pretty sight. And there's the date on it. March 2010 is when I purchased it. Um, and I don't know how old it was at the time. The, the, the color was obviously a lot more vibrant, but the green is still there. Uh, I mean, the, the light on the cameras, the, the green is still there. It is, it is not, this is not brown. This cigar, because the label is brown. Yes. The cigar is definitely green. I mean, that, that, is, that is unbelievable that uh, after, after all this time that that tobacco has kept that color. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, remember I told you, you go through a process of fixating the color by actually burning, burning. Uh, remember, uh, uh, chlorophyll is, is, is what, you know, is what makes photosynthesis. Remember, we study biology or, uh, and, and, you know, we're telling us that, you know, the chlorophyll is the one that transforms the energy, the sunlight into, 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 so the, so the plant can survive and that's how it feeds itself. So that chlorophyll, you actually fixate it and uh, by heat, and it just stays there. So you basically kind of like, uh, like, like you're doing a brick in a way that, that cell is being uh, petrified with a color. So that's, you know, to give it a, a kind of a, a, a more understanding of how you do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's very impressive. And, uh, you know, uh, you told me the amount. So you guys were the, we're, we're talking the world here. We're not talking like for a particular market in the eighties, the Iroa family did more Candela tobacco than anyone else in the world i i would assume so as as a private company i don't know if there were uh, you know particular uh, uh states that did it like you know like but that's 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 for what i know of we basically supplied about five hundred thousand pounds a year uh, for wow. that's a lot and that, i mean that's i mean i'm sure and i'm sure that was a fraction of the tobacco that you're producing for you know I guess more traditional cigars, right? Oh, remember, and, and back then we were growing that we weren't really a, a, a big uh, uh, cigar manufacturer. I don't think we actually started make going into cigars until the in the eighties. So Candela was before. We've always been a farmer before a cigar manufacturer, and we consider ourselves a grower that also makes cigars. Right. So we consider ourselves, you know, a lot of people consider themselves, uh, you know, cigar manufacturers. We consider ourselves growers that manufacture cigars. And that's uh, that's a perfect segue into tonight's major point, uh, Gusto, which uh, it's our major point is always uh, brought to you by Baracoa Cigars. Baracoa Cigar Company is back. Get ready for the relaunch of the voyage this 
spring. I can't, I personally can't wait for the cigar to come back. It's been over three years, but now with the revamp blend coming from one of the industry's hottest factories, Danny Vasquez promises if you like the original blend, you're certainly going to love the relaunch. So stay tuned for more details for how you can enjoy the voyage. And remember, never settle. Barracoa Cigar Company. So that, that kind of leads us into tonight's major point. And I want to, I, I, you know, as we were kind of talking about before the show started, who, so I'm not, I'm not really big into on this particular show. I'm listen, I can nerd out with the best of them on rapper binder filler. I, 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 I love that stuff. I, I typically don't go down that route with this, uh, with this particular show, but one of the things that I, I think we have to do, and I, and I'm more than pleased to, because it's so centric into the Iroa DNA is tobacco in itself it is it is it is you guys are like you said you guys are farmers first cigar makers second and um it, it's it's been part of your your part of your lineage going back how many generations your was it your great great grandfather that started this or even further back well i, I said my theo my my it would be my grandfather my dad's dad was which which he worked for the cuban land company in in in, in cuba and you know we he had a, a, a farm and in, 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 in where we grew tobacco and sold it to brokers. And, uh, but, you know, we weren't, you know, he wasn't doing much. My dad was going to school. My, we had three, there were three siblings from, from, from my grandfather and uh, they were going to college. Then the Cuban revolution came, but, you know, he, they, they weren't a big rower, you know, they, uh, you know, the big rowers, uh, the, whatever tobacco we grew in Cuba was being sold to Tampa because everything Tampa was the capital of, of cigar world. Uh, and, you know, still Tampa, that's why it's really known for, 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 for cigars. City. And your family sold to some pretty significant, you know, like uh, makers back in the day. I mean, like we're talking House of Windsor. You mentioned them already. Uh, a couple of others as well. I have the whole list here. So just to give you. So I had to, I had to do a little bit of research. So I had to send that to, uh, to somebody that wrote a, an article, but I'll give you just a, a perfect. Well, while you're looking that up, I'm, I was curious because they've been around for so long and you, of course your family's been growing around, growing tobacco for so long. Do you happen to know if, if you ever supplied JC Newman by chance? Uh, no, I'll, uh, let me, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, it was just a shot in the dark because I just, you know, the histories kind of parallel each other, obviously. And I just, I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to ask if, if you knew offhand. Uh, well, basically, our biggest clients were probably were, was Bayo Cigars, House of Windsor, Perfecto Garcia, Corral Guadisca, and then others. So I'm, maybe within the others, uh, you know, we, we probably sold them, but I, I cannot affirm that. I would have to ask, you know, the Newman family if they did buy stuff from us. Yeah. So, but Bayo Cigars was probably one of the biggest ones. So House of Windsor was the second one. And, you know, we did, you know, we, we did a lot of business with them. Yeah, yeah House of Windsor is uh, like, that's, you know, if you look back at tobacco history, like cigar history, especially Ybor City and stuff, and they're, they're a name that pops up quite a bit when you're kind of reading about it. So that's, that's, that's pretty phenomenal that, uh, that you were, your family's been a part of that. Um, so, so fast forward past the Cuban revolution, your, 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 your father settles in, uh, Honduras and and then the cult starts uh, cultivating different you know different tobaccos everything and then obviously the authentic Corojo comes about now um, when I started smoking cigars and and I and I really started digging into the types of leaves that I enjoyed I remember Corojo standing out to me because I love the I love the pepper I love the spice it was very flavorful but it also wasn't very aggressive it wasn't a very formidable 
tobacco uh, at the time uh, for me. And so I really enjoyed it. But what I remember, what I was smoking wasn't authentic Corojo. So, you know, for that, that's, that's the, that is the JRE tagline. Talk about why, uh, why uh, JRE has that authentic Corojo and how it differs uh, specifically from other Corojos on the market. Well, um, one of the reasons, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of back, background story about the Corojo. The Corojo was, uh, was grown by the Rodriguez family in Cuba. And then when my father was able to get, you know, uh, the, the, the Camacho brand, uh, we were able to get the seed from the Rodriguez family back in the 90s. And we started growing, growing uh, the Corojo. We were able to do it, you know, in, in a proper way and we're able to, uh, you know, aged it properly. And, and Corojo's got a very distinctive characteristic that it's, it's very rich in flavor. As you know, we'll give you that peppery light up, but it also has a natural sweetness. It's got the woody, it's got the earth. And, 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 and Corojo is very, very special. It's in the way uh, uh, Camacho succeeded was because of, you know, all that uh, flavor configuration of that. Uh, and, 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 you know, and then uh, my brother very smartly started coming out with bolder cigars and, you know, and there was a trend and I would say he was probably one of the, 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 the dynamic, uh, 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 one of the most dynamic innovators doing the industry back in the, back in the, in the days of, of the Camacho heydays. And, uh, you know, they even tried to register the Corojo, uh, but they, they weren't allowed it because it was a region. So, uh, 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 and uh, then we also had the crisis of the blue mold crops that came all over Central America and, and Cuba, where basically a lot of, you know, people that were using Corojo was wiped out. So uh, one of the things that happened was uh, in Cuba, they started crossbreeding uh, varieties, uh, which you, you know, get a flower from one plant and then a flower from another variety. And then you cross pollinate and you started creating uh, the different different varieties uh, of, you know, of Corojo. So that now, and people are calling it Corojo, but, but it's a hybrid. You know, like if you, if you, if you mix a, a Brahman and, and, and an Angus, you get the Brangus. So, you know, or, you know, that's, so, so that's where you're crossbreeding. And, and that's the same thing that happened in the tobacco. And the yield that came out of, of that was, you know, Corojo 98 or 99 and over, and all these different varieties were created through crosses. And they were very successful because they, you know, they gave you the hybrid ability to, to produce a little bit more. They gave you some of the characteristics of the Corojo, but they, they don't have the intensity that the original authentic Corojo has. You know, Corojo plants are small, you know, very low yielding and extremely susceptible to blue mold. So, you know, when you have a crop that yields 40% less and it's way more expensive to take care of, you know, people, you know, just rather not take the risk and go with another variety that is, is good, but does not give you that, that you know, this, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the characteristics of the real Corojo, the authentic. And so that's something that, that's something that is very, very specific. Cause if I, the, one of the couple of the cigars that I went back to, and I was like, you know, I was thinking about this when I was first kind of fell upon, you know, fell upon your brand and was hearing this authentic Corojo term and learning a little bit about your story and learning a little bit about the tobacco story. And I realized that, that yeah, when the, this this Corojo that I fell in love with back in the day, that was what I, I you know was actually was actually Corojo '98, Corojo '99, which was these hybridized leaves that you're talking about. So in fact, I wasn't smoking, and nothing to discredit these leaves. I mean, they're they're fantastic, oh, right? No. But it, but it's what, tobacco. But it's just not Corojo. It's not 
the the authentic Corojo. It is called Corojo because, you know, they needed to find a, a substitute for that. Like, you know, and a lot of people say, hey, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, Connecticut, uh, you know, rapper. It's not grown in Connecticut. It's mostly grown in Ecuador. So it's not Ecuador. But, you know, we'll talk about that later because there's a lot of, you know, you know, as long as you get the genetics, you know, it's, it's going to work, you know, and and I and you'll see me doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, examples that has to do with agriculture, especially with the cattle. But I know that people in Texas will, will, will agree with me because they can relate with cattle. <laughs> so, like, if you grow a whole thing in 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 Honduras, or you grow it in in in, in you know in Europe, it's still going to be a Holston. <laughs> no, absolutely no. I think what, what what's really interesting to me is that uh, what I was learning about the way that your, you and your father grow this particular tobacco because it's so susceptible to mold. Not only did you guys find a specific region that that copies as best as possible from your day, you know, from your family's days back in Cuba with the original Corojo seed, but you completely, you completely kind of change the status quo because this, that you don't follow the traditional season that most other growers grow because of the susceptibility to mold, right? You, you start earlier. Is that right? Actually, we're, we're starting a little bit later because later. Sometimes, normally we try to start in November, December, but we might start, you know, we might throw the, the seedlings, you know, uh, late November so we could transplant in January and get the crops out or maybe, uh, or, or plant late, because uh, cold weather gets in Honduras between January and February. So we try to get away from the cold and we might modify the way and the distances and the, and the density of the, of the plant. So, it, 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 you know, we have to work you know, agronomically to, to, to adjust our, our, our crop to what we need to do to avoid, uh, you know, having problems with the blue molds. And, and so and another approach that your family took, and now this is, this is a little non-traditional, right? Because you don't depend on, on just, you don't depend on regular rainfall. You actually have a very sophisticated drip irrigation system to ensure the quality of water, to ensure, you know, to, to really kind of, defend against that mold that it's so susceptible to, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if you were to do flood irrigation where you basically, you know, throw, let's say, instead of, you know, just to, just to give you a, uh, an idea, when, when you do drip irrigation, you just barely basically put all the, all, the, all the water and all nutrients that you feed through the system uh, right at the, at, the, at the root system and, and, and keeps the rest of the, of, of the land dry but enough water goes into the into into the plant that you know it keeps it keeps the you know the, the moisture levels uh, you know lower on, on, on the field. While when you do the the the, the flood irrigation, basically the whole uh, 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 plantation is full of water, so it's more susceptible to blue, to to the blue mold because you have way more humidity and you create a microclimate that allows the the, the blue mold to actually you know. Uh, go on steroids. Oh wow! Okay, so to I've, and I've I've always been curious about this, and don't ask me why. I just like I said, this this is the this is the episode. This you are the person that I wanted to really nerd on about like like farming and agri the agricultural aspect of tobacco growing. But like, am I am I correct in understanding that like when moldus doesn't just affect the the entire crop? potentially 
it can affect and it can actually affect multiple generations, right? Because sometimes that that fungus and everything kind of gets into the soil and it can it can affect future generations uh, of growing. Is that correct or am I way off base? A fungus is a spore. So, you know, whenever it's got the right, uh, whenever it's got the right ability, whenever it's got the right conditions, humidity and in and, and the, and the proper temperature, it will, it will, it will grow. So, you know, if you don't rotate the crops or rotate the, you know, the fields, you know, you're going to be keep on. So that's one of the reasons, you know, we always rotate our, our, our fields with, with different crops. We might use, uh, you know, corn or sorghum and, and rotate the crop. So that way, uh, you know, we completely break the cycle of having a solanase, which a solanase is, 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 is tobacco, which is cousins with, with a tomato, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we definitely need to break the cycle and, 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 and clear the field by actually doing, doing the, the crop rotation and, and get rid of the whatever spores are, 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 are there. But you know, if you keep, and you also leave the land resting for about a year or maybe two years if you can. Uh, so that way the soil has, has not seen tobacco for, for, you know, for a year or so. So you need to rest it. And that way you keep your fields a little bit way healthier. And you have the you have the, the the land and the capabilities to do this because it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Kusto. You uh, the Iroa family actually controls uh, an extensive extensive portions of land there in Honduras. Well, and it's you, not, not, you know, it, it, it's it's big for 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 a tobacco farm. Uh, infrastructure wise, I would say we're probably one of the you know most complete infrastructure uh, farms in the industry. Uh, but you know, we have about 440 acres of drip irrigation. A farm is about 600 acres, so it's it's it's, it's a nice it's a nice size farm, but you know there's you know you got it's, it's for for a farm operation in one location it's, it's a great size yeah. And something like uh, like 20 plus curing barns, right? Uh, we actually have 52 barns. 52. Okay, goodness gracious, I was way off. Excuse me. And there is a pretty impressive it's a pretty impressive operation, infrastructure wise. You know, um, and that's that's the other thing about to go back to the leaf that we're talking about. Corojos typically, um, especially when you're talking about higher primings, because higher the Corona leaves are always, you know, smaller. But Corojo in itself, even with the larger, is 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 typically a a smaller leaf comparatively speaking to other 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 uh, leaves. Toronto or Connecticut is way way smaller, but you know you, we can get fairly de decent uh, sizes. But you know we only get you know uh, seven pairs. We're around 14 to 16 leaves uh, versus you'll get 18 to 22 leaves in different varieties. So, um, I, and I know you're familiar with this concept and I know that this, 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 it might make, it might make you cringe considering again, because we were just talking about the low yield that comes from Corojo. Have, have you guys ever considered or experimented with stock cutting Corojo? You know, uh, my dad did that a, a, a couple of times, but you know, it, when, when, when you, when you, when you cut it and you let the, you let it uh, regrow again, you know, the, the taste, it becomes a little bit more bitter for some reason or another. Uh, and I, I would say, is, I don't know exactly the situation, but it's, it's not the same, like, uh, like, like, uh, and the yield also is not going to be that, that good because, you know, it, it's, it's, and then you're leaving the, the crop there from from a normal cycle for 120 days 
probably leave it in another 60 or 70 days. So you're looking, it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be the same. You know, you, when, you, when you when you grow something from the beginning, it, it, from fresh, it, it will have more, uh, more, uh, how do you call it? More strength and growing and, and bigger leaves and, and taste does definitely does change. So it, whatever he tried before, he did not like it. And he, he, you know, you always try to take advantage of all the crop preparation, all the land preparations and everything. If you get a second crop, by just you know cutting the stem and letting it regrow, uh, you know some people may do that with other varieties. You know, now that you know there's, I guess we're in a miniature boom that you know uh, because people are smoking more, uh, and and we'll hopefully at the end of the day end up with more smokers, and and people trying out cigars. And I think it's going to be it's going to be good for the industry. So there, there's two questions that I have uh, in, within this con within this context here, Justo, and they're both whys, why questions. So I'll ask them together and you can answer it however you want to. So why Corojo and why Honduras? Well, uh, Honduras was, uh, in, remember, uh, like I said, one of the things that happened when, when the Cuban embargo started, if you look at our bands, it'll have, it'll have uh, 1947 to 1961. So uh, Cuba was basically, uh, one of the things that happened was all the tobacco that was being, uh, uh, and it was called Havana Clear, and Havana Clear was developed as a, as a trademark or certification of tobacco that was coming from Cuba and was shipped to Tampa to all the, all the factories that were, you know, where all the major uh, cigar manufacturers were. And, uh, you know, since we were selling tobacco to, 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 uh, uh, to Tampa, my grandfather and brokers, and that's how, you know, my dad uh, met a lot of his friends and actually through his friends and, uh, and, his, uh, and his godfather, which is one of the Oliva family from the tobacco grower, which is Martin Oliva, which is Angel Oliva's, I believe, older brother. And Angel Oliva's father, John Oliva Sr. So, you know, we're, we're a very close, tight family. And um, uh, they actually are the ones that brought my dad to help him. Well, when my dad, when the revolution started, all Cuban tobacco was basically stopped uh, from raw materials getting into, into, into Tampa. So the Oliva family, Don Angel Oliva was a very, uh, a very, very ingenious gentleman. And, and he actually started growing tobacco up in Quincy. So my dad was one of the first guys in first group of Cuban technicians that went up to Quincy, Florida and grow tobacco. And, uh, after they started developing the projects there that, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the cigar industry, you know, you had, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's such a large consumption, they needed to find more areas to grow. So Mosa and Nicaragua opened the doors for a lot of the people to come down and, and establish uh, operations. But Honduras already started in 1960, 1961 to, 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 to have a pilot program that was developed there by the Honduran Agricultural Bank, which is what called, uh, uh, now it's called Manadesa, but, uh, uh, but, but they had, but they had a, a bank that was creating a pilot program that was developed by Tino Argudin and Jorge Hueso Arias, which was cultivating in Santa Rosa de Copan. So uh, Tino Argudin um, was establishing one of the pilot programs and that pilot program was actually started on our farm in Hamastron. And then when my, when that crop was ready and after my, had, my dad had gone to the Korean War and before that Bay of Pigs, 
the Oliva family asked my dad to come on down and help him sort the leaves of that first pilot program. And, you know, the, the you know, there was a, a, a real need for, for tobacco in Tampa because of the embargo. But at the same time, uh, when Angel Oliva went down there, he said, hey, this tobacco is phenomenal. So that, you know, they started, they started, uh, you know, uh, developing Honduras at the same time that they were developing Nicaragua. So, you know, it's, it, and that's how my dad, you know, started getting into the business and later became independent after working with the Olivas for a couple of years. You know, in, in this industry, Husser, you're, I'm, I'm sure you're obviously very aware and keen on the, the trends that kind of come and go you know, in this industry, some are, some are, some are long and some are short, you know, like, you know, the big, the big gauge, um, you know, boom, which, you know, your brother Christian was very much a part of with, you know, his, his partner there, Tom Lazuka at Asylum, um, the bolder, the bigger, you know, like the, you couldn't make cigars bold enough, you know, for a while, the, 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 uh, you know, the, the full court press kind of on full bodied cigars was, was kind of all the rage and, and things like that. Then you had the couple of years where San Andreas was all the, the rage and then company started coming out with Connecticut's again um you know trends are short how long and short but I think one of the interesting more interesting long-term trends is how popular countries are because like we think right now the, the, the way that the industry kind of stands is that Nicaragua is this 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 hotbed right it's like there's so many there's so many companies there like 15 20 years ago there weren't that many companies in Nicaragua and what we forget because you know sometimes we're so short-sighted is that honduras was the leading what's the beast what what's the beast what's the biggest uh, manufacturer of cigars premium cigars in the world for a while we held the title for a while but you know nicaragua has done a, a fantastic job you know in in, in 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 making all the all the all the cigar manufacturers and investors are opening up their doors you know, they're extremely competitive, you know, uh, salary wise. And, you know, they were also during the, during the uh, Nicaraguan revolution, you know, every, all, all, the, all, the, all the cigar growers and manufacturers who were there had to actually leave because of the Sandinistas. But now the Sandinistas have turned that policy around and have become very welcoming and actually have, you know, developed and, and, and supported a great uh, uh, cigar manufacturing and, and, and cigar operations that have, you know, established themselves in Nicaragua with great success and, you know, doing really high quality products. And, you know, and I, and I believe uh, Honduras also has that same quality. You know, we also, you know, we, we've been in the business, uh, you know, for a long time. And, 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 uh, uh, and we actually, you know, there's a small, you know, from our house, from our farm, once you get the opportunity to come down, uh, down with us, you know, you, you can see that, you know, we're, we're basically in the same valley. So, you know, the tobacco is going to be extremely similar. And, uh, it, you know, in, in Nicaragua, it's gotten a lot of press. All the major manufacturers have factories there. Uh, but, you know, Honduras also has major manufacturers in, in our place, too. You know, you got, you got General, you got Altidus, you know, you got Essencia. You know, so, you know, we're, we're all, we're all uh, you know, have a, a foot in each, in each country. So, you know, we're... But Honduras is, is, I think, uh, labor-wise, is, is, is a little bit more more expensive. That was actually something that I was very surprised to learn was the 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 labor costs in Honduras are actually greater than in even its neighboring Nicaragua or or even in the Dominican Republic in some cases. Um, but. We're we're probably double uh, uh, Dominican Republic and probably 
four or five times a little bit more than in salaries in Honduras go up about three uh, three to five percent every year and probably our minimum salary is close to about 580 bucks a month minimum salary even though our, our rollers get paid uh, 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 paid uh, uh, how do you call it uh, by unit so mm -hmm. it's a little bit more expensive uh, to, to work even though there's a lot of competition in Nicaragua and prices are going up because of the high demand of, of manufacturing there I still they have a, a competitive advantage over us uh, of and they're, you know, they're developing a great uh, workforce too. That really is, that really is interesting that, I mean, that, I mean, cause I, when I first heard that, um, and I think it was you who said it in an interview that I was listening to about the labor costs, it was really interesting. So how, I mean, and, and, and I thought about this and I try to think about this and I look at, you know, and you, you certainly have some value brands that kind of fall in, 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 in lesser price category, more value price category, but then you also have, um you also have some you know the you know the the original aladino the corojo reserva you know they they get into the little bit more mid-range at you know 12 13 15 you know 14 15 dollars depending again this is all geographically based on in retail wise but i mean how do you keep your prices so competitive with these other countries when your labor is so high well you know even though labor Plays a very important uh, role in it. You know, we also are a grower, so you know there is a little bit of compensation. Even though we have to, you know, charge the factory that you know the market price of our tobacco, but at the end of the day, we need also the system to, you know, as we grow. One of the things that uh, when we first started, uh, you know, uh, if you look at it, you know, even though we have a lot of you know vitolas in the Corojo, maybe five or six. You know, we have twelve, but maybe fifty percent is where, you know, the real big volume is at, uh, you know, over that, of the Corojo portfolio. And then if you were, if you look into our Maduro line, which was the second line that I came out with, you know, I only have, I think it's uh, four or five sizes there, you know, from a Corona all the way to the Toro. Mm -hmm. And then in the Connecticut, I also have, I think it's four sizes. And, um, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, so I'm keeping everything to, to, to the SKUs that, you know, most people, uh, you know, sell in volume. And, uh, and then, you know, we also have the Corojo Reserva that, you know, it's, 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 it's a very limited cigar and you gotta, you know, you have to carry at least nine phasings to be able to, to have that. And, you know, and, and, and most stores get three to four boxes a month. That's, the, that's how we, you know, what we could supply and, uh, and, and, and like you said, you know, our, our prices, you know, we, we have even we can have with a vintage today that has a Rothschild with six bucks a stick uh, and a 50 box count. So we have cigars from all the way, you know, from six dollars to, like you said, uh, you know, 14, even our, our, our um, patent, which is a $20 cigar, which is a size A, 48 by nine, which is a very beautiful size individually, uh, uh, individually packed in their, in their own uh, uh, cedar box. Oh, so, like I said, we have the whole range, but, you know, we're slowly bringing in, uh, even though my dad wants to come out with more and more and more SKUs, you know, I got I to slow them down because <laughs> there's so much, there's very limited amount of space in humidors. And also, you know, we're still a young brand. This, you know, we actually took over in 2016, even though we launched in 2015. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're growing very steadily and, and it's an organic growth. And you know we're 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 getting a lot of uh, uh, great reviews, and and you know we're 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 solidly growing you know and firm and fertile soil, 
and you know we're trying to do our best that we can to 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 manage our pricing and our costs and get the best pricing out there for our consumers. Yeah, I think I just answered my own question when I was thinking about it because you guys are vertically integrated. Because, um, because I mean, I, I was I, I know that you guys do basically all of JRE Tobacco's cigars are about ninety seven percent of the tobacco is, is yours, right? I mean, you outsource the 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 the, the uh, Maduro, yeah. the Toronto, and then the the Connecticut from Ecuador. Yeah, yeah from Ecuador. Yeah, and and that's it. Yeah, that basically that's it. Yeah. And the reason is they do it better than us. And so, you know, we just, you know, we've been since the Camacho days, we buy it from the Torrens and, you know, and from the Camacho days, we bought it from Ecuador. So we continue the same thing. So, you know, we're not going to, you're not going to, and that's one of the things we're, we're always trying to uh, focus and, and, you know, get my dad to focus. And now we're slowly experimenting with new varieties and, 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 you know, we're, we, we're very successful with our former room. Which we're extremely happy with with with, uh, with the results, and, and you know we're you know we, and I think that's something for a portfolio. Now we've been known for for Corojo. Now we want to be known for for Cameroon, and there's something more to come. I want I want to touch on that here, kind of in a second. But I I, I what I think is really um, awesome, and I've heard I I can't wait for hopefully the opportunity to meet him because I've heard that. At, 80, at 83 years young, the iconic Julio Iroa has more energy in his little finger than I think I have in, my, you know, most days. So uh, I mean, most of the guys I know. <laughs> I, this, this is something that's kind of, it's kind of froth in the industry. You know, you have these, these icons, these men and women who have been doing it for years, decades, and they're just not slowing down. There's just no stopping them. I mean, Huso, I mean, comparatively speaking to your father, I mean, do you, do you kind of, sh I mean, you share the DNA, but I mean, do you, sh do you, do you kind of share that drive? Is that within you too? Like, I mean, can you see yourself going into your eighties and your nineties? Just, I mean, full well, throttle I mean, like your dad has. I, I, I honestly think myself as, you know, I'm always going to work and, and, and I, and I also love the farm. Uh, him and I, the thing is that him, him, his personality and my personality are pretty much, pretty much the same. Uh, and, you know, that's why it took us a while to, to, to work together. And, you know, I think as, as I, as I gotten older, I see he's way wiser than I am. And, um, and, you know, what keeps him alive is, is, you know, working on the farm. That's what keeps his youth. Not only that, you know, the amount of impact that, 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 you know, all cigar operations have in the communities by providing jobs, you know, uh, also stability, economic stability and, you know, and well-being for the communities. You know, if you were to look at, at most of the cities where, where, you know, you have uh, cigar manufacturing is probably where, you know, the least employment, uh, you know, least crime or, or you know, best, best employment figures in, in, in the countries that are producing cigars are. So I think that's it's very important for the amount of cigars, even though the cigar industry is, is kind of, you know, small in the premium cigar industry, you know, we're probably about 350 million cigars, ballpark figure, but you know, we generate a lot of employment and we create a lot of, uh, uh, um, how do you call it, uh, social benefit to, to all the communities that, you know, whether it's in Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Honduras, or Ecuador, we're providing, uh, you know, uh, way of life for a lot of people and, and and that's one of the major focuses of my father and is and and you know not only does he enjoy it 
but you know there is also a a a, a social commitment to, to to continue developing these uh, uh these communities and being part of that communities so i mean Talk a little bit about this because this is something that you actually, I mean, in, with recent history and the, and I mean, recent being this this past year has been extremely difficult for most companies. Uh, you know, people have had to roll back, you know, the capacity of which their 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 staff said they've had to change the way they manufacture and operate uh, to adhere to 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 guidelines and things like this. But this is something that because of what we were talking about earlier with the susceptibility to the tobacco that you hold dear, the being the Corojo leaf, you guys have had to take extraordinary measures to make sure that, you know, all facilities are sterile and, and things like that. So this really kind of puts you, I don't want to use advantage. That's so, that's so benign, but like you, you, you were kind of ahead of the curve on this because you were almost prepared because of the way things you've already, you guys have already been doing things. Am I right? Well, in, in a way, I think uh, we were probably being one of the the models uh, to, you know, as an example in the industry, we, you know, we were never shut down. I mean, when they started checking factories and looking at protocols and how you, you know, you were working, you know, we were adapted very easily. I mean, our factories is, is small right now. Anyways, we have about, you know, 15, 18, between 15 and 20 pairs. So it's, it's not a big facility. So we have the, 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 the facility, enough facilities so we can spread them out. But a lot of factories might, that may, might not have, uh, you know, the physical area to, to, you know, give space to, because normally teams work together. You know, you have a buncher and you have a roller and, uh, and you know, in some, in some places, you know, you had to, the, the physical space did not allow them to have that amount of, uh, of teams, you know, so close together. So a lot of people had to roll back on the amount of employees that they had until they started fixing new facilities to be able to, to, to be able to, you know, continue manufacturing and have a safer environment for, the, for, for their employees. Uh, at the same time for, for, the, for, you know, as far as I can remember, eight or nine years ago, we, we always had a doctor and staff and a nurse and staff. So you'll see our, our, our medical staff going in and taking temperatures two or three times a day and keep a log of all the, of, of, of all the employees' temperature. So, you know, there's, there's, there's protocols that we had to follow and we continue to follow and we were able to adjust it very quickly and, you know, and, and, and also help out and, and, and give some of the information to other manufacturers and in industries, but, you know, some also manufacturers in Nicaragua too. We're, you know, we're a close community. Anything, anytime you could do a, a good to another company, you know, it comes back. You know, I believe in karma. You do good things, good things happen to you. No, absolutely. Um, and and so we've been talking a lot about tobacco and the way that you guys have manufactured and been doing business for years. And, and uh, you know, so this leads all to 2015 and 2016 when you guys launched the brand after your, after your father's uh, non-compete was over. Uh, after the sale of Camacho. And so you come out with three brands, uh, Rancho Luno, Tarascan, and the iconic, even though it's a very young iconic, the iconic Aladino line, which has developed very well for you guys come out with the original Corojo, which I, I showed earlier when we were talking about the label from 1947 to 1961. Um, the, the, the branding, which is really, which was really you know, our good mutual friend, Will Cooper was talking to me about, about this brand. He was, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of um, 
taken aback by by the the branding because it seemed like and and I don't know if this is something you guys were going for but the the label and the classic look and even the name has this kind of you know you know old I hate the term old school I use it all the time but it's so overused but old school I mean it's very traditional very very traditional and it seemed like a brand that had been around for a long time even though it hasn't been that's that was the thing that kind of got me I was just like it almost seemed like, yeah, of course, this is a staple. It's been around forever. And in reality, it's it's younger than some of, you know. Right. Actually, actually, when you look at it, you know, even though my brother launched it in 2015, we actually took it over in 2016. And until in 2016, I didn't have the, the, the Ocarojo with us. So actually, this is actually our fifth year. And, you know, we're, we're extremely happy because, you know, we have been, you know, uh, uh, growing, like I said, very organically and very strong. And, you know, it's, it, it's been very successful. Texas has been uh, very, 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 very good for us. I mean, I think, uh, well, I think Texas is probably one of the, you know, the premier states for cigar smoking. And, uh, you know, you have wonderful people or, you know, uh, consumers all over the country that are, you know, supporting our brand and we're very happy. And, and like I said, we're trying to slowly introduce more lines every year. And now you'll see you know, expansion of, 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 you know, now the Habano vintage, and you'll see an expansion on the Cameroon, uh, on the Cameroon uh, Lancero. And we're slowly doing that. You know, I'm also working uh, maybe in the future. Uh, I don't have a Gordo in Aladino, Connecticut, and I need a Gordo. So I'll be coming out with a Gordo, you know, uh, sooner than later. Well, Will Cooper will be ecstatic to hear that because he loves he loves a good Gordo. So um, I'm the Lancero guy. He's the he's the bigger gauge guy. We have that we have that um, war that we wage. I got number two cigar of the year. You know, coming out of the gauge with him with the Lancero, <laughs> which was yeah. I, I which I always kind of go back to him when I'm arguing with him back and forth. And I was like, you know, you know, like hey, just just so you know, I don't know if you've looked at your historical record, but you know, you know, you're the Lancero major number two cigar of the year list. Just FYI, but um. But I, I think um, just to go back to, to Aladino itself. So this, the name is uh, is actually, if I'm if I've got my history right, it's actually there's there's a there is a theater in your in, in the town there in Honduras that's it's either named Aladino or named Aladdin or or something yeah, like that. It's called Aladino. That's, that was a theater, yeah. And but you know the way I look at Aladino, Aladino is actually Aladdin. Okay, so it's it's, it's magic genie. In, in the way I, 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 I spin the way Aladino is, is that, you know, since you have 1947 and 1961, when you smoke an Aladino, it's actually bringing you back to that era. So Aladino, the genie, brings you, when you're smoking this, to, to the most Cubanistic cigar that is out there in the industry today because of our Corojo. So that's, that's how I picture Aladino, and that's the way I, I kind of want to describe Aladino. So if you want to go back to the golden era of Cuban cigars, you smoke an Aladino because that's, you know, that's what, that's, that, that's what Aladino brings you back to. And I, I think that, um, I think that that is the, I think that's one of the, the misconceptions about like when people talk about smoking Habanos or smoking Cuban cigars today in 2021, right? Or even five years ago, six years ago, 2015, 2016, you know, this the Cuban cigar today is not what the Cuban cigar was in this time period that we're talking about. And and it's to your father's recollection, what he's what you guys have recreated in the Aladino, 
harkens back to that time period. So this is what this is what the world was all a craze about, right? It's not the Cuban cigar today. This was this is what people were nuts about. If you were to smoke Cuban cigars today, I, I would say um, <clears throat> one of the things that you'll find they're they're not going to be as as strong or bold as what you have in the U.S. market. I would say the U.S. market is probably the one that's got the probably the best cigars in the industry today. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> when you look at Europe, I, th I think they're more mild to medium smokers than the U.S. market is, and uh, um, you know around the world, most people that don't have a cigar culture or you know may smoke one or two cigars a week. Uh, you know, are not going to smoke a super bold cigar. While here in the U.S., you know, bolder, more fuller cigars are the ones that are taking. You know, have a lot of uh, there. There's a lot of market. Don't get me wrong. Still, can uh, still still uh, Connecticut is probably still the best-selling wrapper in the U.S. And collateral and Connecticut outsells everything because you know, since they tend to be milder, people will tend to smoke more of that cigar than a bolder cigar. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, you know, that's what I, that's what I perceive. And that's what I see in the market. No, absolutely true. And I, I think that that's, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to write it up next because we've been talking about it so much, but what we are smoking right now, Justo is the, is the, um, the Aladino Cameroon, uh, which was this, uh, along with the Habano vintage uh, is your most recent release. Um, and um, I've, I want to give you a lot of credit for something because this is something that, uh, you know, is, is very, is a trend in the industry, which kind of catches some flack, which is the, the use of, you know, when people say, you know, like the term Habano, well, there's a lot of different types of Habano. There's Nicaraguan Habano, there's Ecuadorian Habano, there's Honduran Habano, there's, you know, name it. Right. Um, you know, even, you know, when there's, you know, Maduro is such a, you know, it's such a generic term. Well, what kind of Maduro are you talking about? Um, you know, even the term Connecticut, right? You know, this isn't this isn't Connecticut. This is Ecuadorian Connecticut, right? Or, or Ecuadorian shade, however you want to characterize it. But you guys don't hide from that. You 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 embrace the fact that you you are you're. This is different. This isn't Cameroon from Africa. This is Cameroon that you and your father developed. I mean, this. I mean, is is it to your knowledge? Because I couldn't find anything. Is it to your knowledge the first? Cameroon developed in Honduras? No, we, uh, my dad way back in the, in the nineties. And, you know, we, we experimented a little bit with, uh, with, with the Cameroon and we have a big uh, cigar broker that gave us the seed a couple years back. And, you know, we started, you know, with two acres and then with five acres and now we're doing, you know, 50, 60 acres uh, because, you know, we were very successful in, in doing that. And uh, you might remember I expect about cattle. If you get a Brahmin, uh, and, 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 and you and you get the cattle born in Brazil, you grow it in Texas, or or you have it bred in Honduras, it's going to be a Brahmin. Okay, so and we get a Holstein, it's going to be a Holstein here in the United States, it's going to be a, a Holstein in in, in, in in England, it's going to be a Holstein in, 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 uh, in Honduras. So it's, you know, if you get the genetic material, and you're able to provide the, 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 if you have the great conditions to be able to grow it, you're going to be able to get the characteristics of that, of, the, of that, of that, of that variety to come out in your cigars. So you could, you could, you could taste the flavor and you could t definitely taste the flavor. This is the Cameroon has become probably one of my favorite cigars. Like I said, I'm a mild to medium smoker. I'll smoke a little bit bolder, but I have to have, you know, dinner. If not, I'll, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll lightheaded. 
and, you know, and, and there's no shame in saying that, you know, my dad's does you know, I, 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 I give him a reserva and he turns around and is in a scooter and just runs away from me. <laughs> he doesn't like to smoke boulder or cigars either. He get you know, he doesn't like to do that. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the, the favorite cigar, like I told you before, is the one that you like or the one the consumer likes. That's the best cigar for that particular smoker. Right. So, and, and one of the things that we have tried to blend, and, and you know, our Corojo is our base, and we like to use that a lot in our fillers and binders and stuff like that, because you could get a lot of flavor and, you know, the, uh, uh, and, and bring tons of flavor to a cigar without having to, you know, knock you out. So a mild to medium smoker can, you know, really enjoy a cigar and, and, and you know, very clean, and no aftertaste, no ammonia to it. And a lot of people confuse uh, strength with bitterness. And, um, and, 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 and our cigars, what it gives you is a lot of aroma. Uh, so like I said, a mild to medium can enjoy it, but also, you know, medium plus guy can smoke, you know, a regular Corojo or a regular line that you have there. And, you know, they'll get tons of flavor. So, you know, uh, they could probably be very happy with, 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 with one of our cigars. And if they really want to take it to the next level, we also have the Reserva, you know. And, uh, and I, believe it or not, I'm also a lover of, of Habano. And now you'll see in our Habano line will start to expand. So, you know, we're, we're, we're very happy with what we're doing. Two, two comments I want to talk about the Corojo Reserva in a moment because I have I have a story about that that I find isn't I found interesting and I wanted to get your take on it but to talk about the Cameroon for just one more second what I've noticed about the Aladino Cameroon versus other Cameroon and I'm a big fan of the leaf in general like um, I, I like its nuttiness it has it's a has a richness to it that really depending on the blend really kind of adds this dimension that's very it's very it's very specific and it's very spot on um and this isn't a knock against genuine african cameroon because again i think it's just the way that it's cultivated and it just it just happens to be the byproduct of it but i that it's a very delicate but yet flavorful leaf and delicate being the key term like if if you drop if you drop a cigar that has cameroon wrapper on it i mean you you better hope and pray otherwise it, it, it can crack all over the place this that is something I noticed very very quickly about the Aladino Cameroon. Now this isn't the tobacco is not dense like a broadleaf dense like it's not that kind of no, that, 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 it's that's not, not that it's thick. Not but it no no it does have it does have some density to it. Well, and, and that all has to do with, with with the nutrition. You know, if you get a little kid and you just you know don't give them milk of vitamins, you know you'll be short like me. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> a kid and, you know, you give him all the vitamins, he drinks milk and gets old, you know, everything it's going to, you know, he's going to grow into a big boy. And that's the same thing what you do with a plant and a leaf. You know, if, if, the, if that tobacco is going to have all the nutrients and, 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 and you treat it, you know, with, with, with a lot of care and a lot of nutritional and everything, you know, that tobacco is going to grow with, with, with all the, all the potential that his genetic, his genetic code has to make it, you know, to give you all the flavors and all the all the natural characteristics that it has, so you know it's, it's 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 very important on how to grow tobacco, and you gotta and you have to definitely know what you're doing. And like I said, you know I think you know we're we're professional growers of leaf, and you know that that's my hats off to my dad, and, and that's something that 
I strongly believe in him, him and I, you know, during the Camacho day, I was always there with him. I'm the one that was in charge of all the mechanization, you know, working with the programs and also crop rotations, you know, so it's, it's so it's, you know, it's, it, it all has to do with how much uh, input you put into your raw materials and, and how well, you know, if, like you said, if you got a great cut of beef from, you know, from, a, from, 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 from a good, uh, from, from a good cattle, you're going to be able to get, you know, a great steak. But, you know, if you got a, you know, an older, uh, you know, an older bull, you know, if it's 10, 12 years old, it's not going to, you know, be as tender uh, as a young, you know, 18 month or, you know, two year old bull. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm just, I'm just amazed um, by, you know, every time I smoke an Aladino, from the Maduro to the original, to this Cameroon, to the original Corojo Reserva, I think it's, or it's, it's really, it really is incredible how much flavor comes out of a, like we were talking about a mild to medium bodied cigar. And I think, I think obtrusive, like it doesn't, it doesn't knock you in the face. It doesn't, doesn't knock you down with the exception of the Corojo Reserva, which I have a story about. Um, but the, the, these other lines, they just have, but there's so much flavor. They keep your attention and even as I'm having this great conversation with you, Justo, like I keep going back to the cigar and I'm just like, wow, like I'm almost finished with it. Um, and this is the time that the cigar gets a little, starts to get a little hot typically, right? We'll, we'll, we'll start to get a little hot because I mean, it's just natural, it's physics. But what I notice about the Aladino is it doesn't happen. Like there's not this, there's not this, you know, bitterness that kind of comes in naturally at the end i mean the, these when you when you talk about the metaphor of like smoking your fingertips off right you know you've heard that term when you're smoking a cigar that's consistent with your product and, and you know and that's the you know when you have very well aged tobacco and, you, and 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 you know you take the time to take uh you know all the all ammonia out you know what gives gives you the bitterness is younger tobacco and also ammonia ammonia plays a lot of an important a very important role and that's why I always tell you, you know, don't confuse bitterness with strength because, you know, you could get a cigar and it will pop you because, you know, it's, it's a younger tobacco. And don't get me wrong, you know, some people are used to, uh, you know, uh, younger tobacco and they, you know, they might like a little bit, you know, like, uh, but, but, but we go the opposite way. We, the way we uh, have designed or, or have uh, looked into blending our cigars to give you that intensity of flavor that we want to give you but at the same time we want to give you that intensity of flavor and get, keep you always you know uh craving for more more flavor all the time so if i was to give you a fuller cigar you know you, you you'll you'll get that but i don't think people probably people like to enjoy maybe having one or two or three cigars a day and uh, rather than there's just one bold one but you know it's, it's that's 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 just the way that you know my dad likes to blend I remember, so our, uh, our mutual friend and my employer, Mike Peacock at Michael's Tobacco of Euless, he was telling me this story where he was, he had, he'd gone down to, he had gone down to Honduras. He was sitting with, he was smoking a cigar with your father with a couple of other retailers at the time. And someone, someone lit the cigar, lit a cigar. It was an Aladino and the original Crojo and, uh, did a bad job of lighting it. Right. Like it only lit like half the foot or something like that. And he realized it, and then he was about to reach for your lighter, uh, reach for uh, his lighter to to touch it up, you know. And your father very calmly uh, but very firmly said, 
don't touch your lighter. And Mike, as he tells the story to me, he was like, he was kind of, he it, it kind of cut. And Mike, Mike's a very even killed man, as you know. And That's he, very, very. Like, and he kind of, it kind of caught his attention. Like, he, he, he was probably one of the, he was probably one of the crew in, 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 in Apollo 13. Very cool. Very. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, um, and so they sat there, um, kind of quiet for a while. And this gentleman who kind of ha half lift the foot, smoked it down a little bit further, and a little further. And the cigar naturally caught up to itself and executed this, this, what Mike describes as this, this perfect burn, um, after, after, you know, a couple of inches into the cigar, after the, the, the man apparently just completely botched the lighting job. Um, I actually experiment, I, I experimented with this. I wanted to, I wanted to see it for myself and I, I, I did it and, um, I'll be darned who's who's so it, <laughs> it was, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Well, and, and you know, this it's the way you construct the material and also the way you, you know, you, you know, we, we try to do uh, everything with top notch materials. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's where, you know, I think, you know, I have to give all that credit to, to, to Julio, my dad, and he is, he's a, he's a true professional and he likes, he knows what he's doing. And, uh, and the way we train our rollers is, is, is all about construction. And you can be, almost see in every single cigar that you have, you'll end up with a cone uh, in the middle of the cigar as the ash, as you, as you knock off the ash, because everything is just, it's just done. So, you know, so methodically and so, per, you know, so much perfection, every single one of our cigars is draw tested. There's there, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't have that massive production that we're doing 70 or 80,000 cigars like we were doing in the Camacho days because we're doing, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 cigars a day. So it's not a big deal. So, uh, we do draw test everything and, you know, we're very, on top of our guys, one of the things we do want to keep on doing is have consistency in, in the construction and quality of our cigars. And whether you're going to do a, a, a good cigar or you're going to do a, a, an okay cigar, you better have that quality and consistency. So when the consumer, you know, gets another cigar, so they know what they're getting for. You know, when you buy a Coca-Cola, you know, you're going to be tasting the Coca-Cola or, you know, so you're always looking at, at consistency all the time. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I think it's just absolutely incredible the the quality that we're talking about here, and I also think I, this nothing nothing ever falls short of amazing me in this industry to think that ten to twelve thousand cigars a day is small potatoes comparatively speaking still blows my mind, still blows my mind. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Believe me, it takes it takes a lot of people to to support support that. And then there are some factories out there that are doing over a hundred thousand cigars a day, which right. is which is really you know mind-boggling you know i'm <laughs> doing 780,000 cigars I said wow that's huge and uh but you know we're happy with you know what we're doing we're slowly growing and and the idea is you know uh, maybe cap it once you know we reach a number that i think that you know is, is sustainable and and that's what we look for you know we never want to go back to the you know to those huge huge numbers it's just it's a lot of stress in in, in the supply chain you know, there's a lot of boxes, there's a lot of tobacco, there's a lot of, you know, personnel. And, you know, if you keep a, an operation that is manageable, and, you know, my dad, even though he's got all the energy in the world, you know, 83, you know, running, he doesn't, I don't want him to be running, you know, you know 300 pairs of people, you know, just 600 rollers in, in, in the room, just, just too much. Plus, his passion is the farm. 
Absolutely. So the story I wanted to tell about with the Corojo Reserva was, you know, I um, I really loved it when it was originally released, and I and I put a few back because um, I'm a big aging cigar nerd, as my audience knows. And I put a few back, and I remember visiting my my I, I took care of my mother uh, for a few days after she had a surgery. Um, this was a little over a year and a half ago, and um, and I remember taking or maybe a year ago, excuse me, and I took one of those Corojo Reservas with me along with some other cigars and. You know, one night I went onto my back patio um, and I, I lit that cigar up and I just remember, um, I mean, that cigar was a year old and I just got smacked in the face. I was just, it was my first cigar of the day um, and, you know, and I still remember just how strong that cigar was. And I was like, I just didn't remember that the cigar being that strong. And I was like, a year of age, this should have, this should have mellowed a bit but it, it i mean it, it had i think it almost had more pop than when i first smoked it off the shelf i mean is that even humanly possible well one of the things you're doing you, you just taking out you know higher primings and you know the higher you go the, the, the more the more the more pop you'll get you know they're, they're a little bit thicker leaves you know they'll burn a little bit slower too uh since you know they're a little bit thicker but you know the, the more the, the higher you go the more intensity you get in flavor and you know that's that's that, that's normal. That's why you know, our reserve is so limited, because you know when when you're looking at it, you know when you're growing, we're only using maybe you know two or three primings. You know we're only using probably about 16 or 18 percent of our tobaccos. Can be if it's good enough, we'll, we'll make it to the reserva. And you know we cannot always do that, so that's why we limit the limit our reserva. You know, and 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 so that way we can always have inventory. And, and I'd rather, you know, have once a month we supply whatever they, the stores need, but we, we, we try to keep enough for all, all the stores all the time. Absolutely. Well, so this goes, this takes us into one of our fun segments, you know, and I mentioned this to you before the show, and this is one of our, you know, our audience's favorite segments, which is our one must go segment. And it's, uh, as always, it's brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. So please smoke one today and start living United. Now, Husa, this is, a, again, this is the segment where I actually give you three things and uh, one has to go. And so I, I try to mold this typically after the uh, after my guest. And you have a you have a very uh, you have a, a very fascinating uh, background. So, you know, you've you grew up in the tobacco industry. Obviously, that's what you're doing today. Um, you're, but you're a farmer by trade. You and your father are farmers. You've said it countless times and you've said it several times tonight. Um, but you also have sold things for a living and you actually had your own uh, water uh, business bottled water business. Uh, you also worked uh, for uh, Campbell's for, for, for a time as well. And obviously you, you sell cigars for a living too. And so I wanted to ask this question in a very specific way. So basically one, the one that has to go is the one that has been, was the most difficult to sell. So this isn't like one's got to go, like you'll wipe it from your history or anything like that. We're not, we're not getting that extreme here, but like in your time and in the amount of time that you spend in all these industries and the, I mean, you talked once about your competitors and bottled water were like your Dasani's and your Aquafina's. I mean, where you were, you were up there. Um, and so what, what has been the, what was the hardest product or what has been the hardest product to sell to the customer? Well, I, I think honestly, uh, probably I would say cigars is, 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 is probably the toughest 
I mean, uh, in, in, in um, when, you know, when, when you're selling beverages and, and you know, beverages is, when you're looking at mass consumption, it's, it's, it's mass consumption. I mean, usually when, when everybody goes and, and buys water or, or, or something like that, you go to a supermarket and you'll buy one or two cases of water and it's very easy to, you know, uh, you know, every time I go to BJ, I buy five or six cases. So, you know, there, there's a high consumption of, of, of water. But cigars, I mean, you know, there's a lot of great brands out there. There's a lot of, most of the stores are, you know, private individual businesses. And, and uh, you know, and they require special attention. They require to know the product. And even though we have been in the industry, you know, you're coming out with new brands. So, you know, making yourself... Uh, to be known and getting into humidors and getting the, you know, the, the, the store managers or humidor managers to try the cigar and also for them to get consumers that are already consuming something else and being able to be in the rotation of somebody that, you know, is smoking, you know, two or three brands or one particular brand and for them to try our cigar, it's, it's a challenge. So I would say cigars is, is, is definitely one of those things that requires a lot of work and it requires a lot of attention uh, on our part. And it's, you know, uh, in the more brands that are out there, you definitely need to identify yourself with not only the consumer, but also with, 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 with the managers, the humidors. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, it, it's something that they have a lot of uh, weight in, 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 in telling the consumer what to try. So, you know, it's, it, we have to have a lot of detailed attention and, 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 and follow up with, 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 within the industry with all the stores because they're all individual businesses like we are. And, you know, their success is, 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 is very important for us because uh, as they are successful and, you know, the, the store becomes strong, but at the same time, you know, we need to somehow uh, be able to, uh, to grow the clientele with them. I mean, I had a I had a hunch that you were probably going to choose this because I was thinking about it in exactly the term the terms that you were talking about because we were talking about twelve thousand cigars a day. I mean, that in the terms of the beverage business, I mean, that was probably the production of an hour. No, we had machines that were doing four or five thousand bags, a, you know, an hour. Yeah, like seven of those. So it was, you know, volume wise, it's just it's just completely different. And, you know, it's, 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 it's the business is is completely different. And, and, you know, Campbell's, for instance, is that's a staple in every supermarket and every fast, you know, in every cornerstone chain, every, I mean, everywhere. I mean, you can find Campbell's anywhere that food is sold. And they also have Pepperidge Farm. And I think they also bought a, a, a kettle. I mean, the, the, the potato chips. Kettle. Yeah. Kettle brand. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're a household name. They're one of the oldest companies in the U.S. I think there was. It was the first company that actually came out with canned food and, and you know they got a bunch of awards and stuff like that because they were the innovators back in the industry so it, it's you know it's, it's it's a different it's a different it's a different you know cigars is something that you could you, could, you may consider a luxury uh, item because you know it's something that you don't you know you don't need to survive but it's and that's why it's a little bit harder and um uh, you know, selling water, soup, and stuff like that is way easier. Uh, even though you know there, there's a lot of competition and everything. So, what was the? This was something I couldn't find. Who's What was the brand of water that you owned? What was the? What was the, the name? We own uh, Aqua Springs. Okay. okay. And then, and you no longer you're not vested in that company anymore. No, you, no, 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 no
uh, we, we sold it off in, uh, I think it was 2007. You know, so, so you know, speaking of history, and that was, our, that was our One Must Go segment, as always, it's brought to you by United Cigars. Smoke one today, start living United, featuring uh, La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Out of Bay and Byron Lions. So smoke one today. And start living united, but you know we, we talked about historical significance. It's kind of funny that you you worked for Campbell's, which was this 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 titan of the food industry. Uh, you got into the water business, which is you know certainly a, a growing, and, and you became very quickly a huge power player in that. You know, like you said, your major competitors were the Dasanis and the Aquafinas of the world. The Iroa family. We've talked about the historical significance of your own family and what they've played, and um, but even. More so, there's a lot of history uh, in your own family with just uh, by association, because like your your father and yourself, you are uh, alumni of uh, uh, of Farragut High School or Farragut, Farragut. yes, yes, in St. Petersburg. Um, and there's some pretty famous alumni as well of that school, and also another school you attended, which was Tampa Jesuit. Um, but your father's classmate. And teammate on the baseball team was a man named Neil Armstrong. Uh, quite, 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 a, quite a gentleman, huh? <laughs> well, they, they weren't classmates. Uh, I think uh, Neil Armstrong graduated in 53, and my dad graduated in 54. Right. And they played on the same baseball team, though, right? That's, I did hear that correct? I believe so. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, your father was the catcher? Yes, my dad played catcher. Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, did, did he, I mean, I mean, I mean, did they, I mean, has he ever told you any stories about being classmates with him or anything like that? Or just, was it just like, he just just remembers him being in the, in in the baseball team. (laughs) My dad, you know, the thing is there was a group of young Cubans that always hung around together. So, you know, he was, he was more waiting for the weekends to go dancing in Tampa. So, you know, they would pick him up and they would go dancing in Tampa with, you know, with, (laughs) Well, the family. So it was more about that. And usually you have a lot of people that you go to school with. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I, I went to Jesuit for my freshman and sophomore year. And then I think I went uh, fifth, sixth, seventh grade to Admiral Farragut. And then I finished off in Canada. So I was mostly in boarding school. So when I lived in, uh, uh, so, and, and my dad took me out of Admiral Farragut to send me later to, to Canada. And then I went to Tampa Jesuit for my freshman and sophomore, and then my last junior and senior year, I graduated in, in Canada. Uh, high school in uh, in the Lennox in Lennoxville, Quebec. Oh my goodness! So you 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 definitely went all over the place. Believe it or not, I played hockey. You've been playing hockey. Wow. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, well, what what position did you play in hockey? Well, you know to. Since you have to play forward because, you know, my, 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 my skating backwards wasn't that, that good. So, uh, you know, usually you, you go out there and, and, uh, and mostly it was an intramural league that I played. So, uh, uh, and I didn't, I think, no, no, yeah, it was an intramural leagues that we, we played because, you know, everybody had to play a sport in, 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 the, in the school that I went to. And uh, it was the oldest indoor rink in Quebec was built in the 19-something, so it was, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing going there, and, and, you know, great people, and uh, actually, that's where I saw the U.S. Uh, win the gold medal, that was uh, back, back then, was it, 82, the, the, the Olympics, the, 
83, something like yeah, 82, I think was the when the US won the, the, the so I was pretty much into hockey back then. Oh, you're talking about the, the legendary miracle team? Yes, absolutely. Of 1980, the Lake Placid games. Yeah, I still yeah. remember that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, it's 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 um, you know it's 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 funny when I kind of look back at history and stuff. It's kind of interesting that 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 was actually three years before my birth, and um, you know you know and I and I'm, I've always been a big historian, and so like when I hear about these little tidbits of your father being classmates with Neil Armstrong and everything, it just it, it just it just sets my heart on fire because I just like I get so excited over things like that. And, um, but I mean, there were a lot of famous alumni that kind of graced the halls of the same schools that you and your father did. I mean, everyone from Lou Pinella in baseball uh, to, you know, Dave Magadan to uh, Al Lopez, we talked about, and you had a, his, we, we, we assume it's either his, his grandson who is the quarterback when you were in, when you were in school, uh, Al Lopez, the baseball hall of famer uh, went to, uh, went to Tampa Jesuit. And, uh, and so it's, 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 it's just crazy, like the, how how small the world is. But years before, a de- almost a decade before Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon, your father also participated in a very historical event. You've mentioned it already tonight, which was the Bay of Pigs. Correct. It was in the Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, invasion um, uh, with Daniel Rodriguez, which is part of also the, the one of the, the 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 tobacco growers that gave us the, actually the the, the Corojo seed. So he was there with Daniel Rodriguez in the invasion. And then, you know, later my dad went uh, after the, the, you know, the failure of the, of the Bay of Pigs invasion, he uh, went into the army and did uh, two years of tours in, 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 in Korea. So uh, uh, my dad is also a U.S. veteran. We, we certainly we certainly appreciate his service. And we're going to talk a little bit more about his service just in a second. I'm, I'm, I'm interested, has he ever shared what, you know what that experience was like the bay of pig i mean i i, I can't i can't even oh, begin yeah. to imagine that the the, the him, tragedy you know, that it was for him it was very very frustrating because you know uh believe it or not at the beginning most you know if you look at it most people in revolutions are are, are, are college kids you know those are the ones that want to change the world you don't see older people with family and that being revolutionaries and at the beginning, my dad was 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 totally against Batista. It was part of the part of the you know the, the revolution. And then you know when uh, you know when they started having my grandmother you know march and put on uniforms and stuff like that, and you know him declaring himself uh, you know a, a communist, you know that's where you know he said, hey, you know we supported the wrong idea. You know people you know people get that really get uh, get sold an idea about, you know, freedom and, you know, everything is you know, about socialism. And, you know, uh, they, the other day they posted something about, uh, you know, Mars being used to be a socialist planet and that's why there's no life anymore. So uh, that's, that, that, that's kind of what happens. You know, it's, you know, they, they, they sell you a great idea of everything to be there. And, and, and that's what, what happened to, uh, to, uh, you know, with, with Cuba, you know, young people got enthusiastic because you had a dictator and, and then ended up, you know, in, 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 uh, in an unfortunate situation. Unbelievable. Just, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still to this day, you know, that I learn about these stories that your father and his, you know, his compatriots and uh, people of his, 
time, you know, we talk about Padron and Placencia and all these other historic families that, that the hardship that they endured as they were, you know, as they had to leave their homeland, not just their homeland, but their families from generations past, you know, giving up everything that they had overly known and to, to kind of reestablish themselves. It's just, to me today is still such a, you know, it's such a heartbreaking tale, but at the same time, it's, it, it, it's their, their perseverance is ultimately has led to our conversation today. It's the only, it's the only reason why we're sitting across from each other right now and having this conversation is, is, is the perseverance of your father and, and the people of his, uh, the people of his time. Yeah. And, you know, we're actually, you know, very close. We used to be neighbors with the Placencia family and Nestor is, I think probably, you know, maybe eight or 10 years younger than my dad. And um, he was, my dad also helped him sponsor to come over to Honduras when, you know, and then he had his plane accident in 78. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and he's been a great success. Placencia is also an iconic family in, in the industry today. You know, they're like, like the Padron family and the Fuente family. And, you know, they're all, you know, we're all, believe it or not, we're, we're all, all have, history together and, mm -hmm. and family. So it's, it's, it's a very unique, uh, small industry with a lot of great people in the industry. Amen. You talked about your father's, uh, uh, his uh, military service and, you know, served honorably in the United States military. And again, I, I like what I said a moment ago, I do appreciate his service. As I, as I've told you before, my father is a veteran. Um, great honor. We, I, I can't, and I, I sincerely mean this, so I, I cannot, I cannot begin to thank you for what you and your father have sacrificed for this country, along with every man and woman who's served in uniform. And, and this is something that I always have taken very seriously. And, and, and as we kind of go into this next segment, I, um, I started this, um, this segment back on my birthday, which was to spotlight and, and highlight nonprofits and charities, um, you know, of, of interest throughout this industry. And it doesn't have to necessarily be cigar related. We've had plenty of cigar related charities and everything, but we've, uh, I've taken an interest in, in other items and everything. And so I thought today would be a really, a really good exercise in paying homage uh, to the icon and titan that your father is. And so he served honorably in the United States military, as you did. And um, and so, and I know that your father also has a love of horses, among also along with tobacco. So I thought, I, I found this incredible organization that I wanted to spotlight tonight, and it's called Battle Flag Ranch. And uh, it's 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 a it's a nonprofit organization in Tennessee that's run by Jason Henry and his family. Um, Jason is also a United States veteran. Uh, served I uh, served honorably in the United States Navy and the United States Army. Um, and uh, just a, a fantastic. I had a conversation with this man earlier today because I talked to him about how I was going to be featuring him on tonight's show, and we've never met. I, I just called him out of the blue, and I just said, "Hey, I wanted to let you know I, I wanted to do this." and because tobacco is one of those polarizing subjects, I didn't want to belittle what he was necessarily trying to accomplish. He's like, absolutely not. We smoke cigars all the time. And I was like, oh, perfect. This is great. So he, Battle Flag Ranch, Gusto, and as I was talking to you a little bit about this again, is, is an incredible organization. And their, um, their mission is specifically centered around uh, equine uh, programs to provide respite and safe environment to battle weary veterans and their families in order to come away with the tools to re-engage with life. So uh, he, uh, since, since the war in Afghanistan began in 2001, uh, divorce rates uh, have really skyrocketed. 
uh, we all know about uh, something that I've spotlighted uh, uh, several times on the show, you know, 22, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. There is a, a huge problem uh, with taking care of our veterans, especially with reentering life. And Jason and his family have done an incredible job with this program uh, of uh, Battle Flag Ranch. And they use equine as, you know, equ you know equine programs uh, to to rehab and and get veterans to kind of re-enter society. It's it's a beautiful organization and it's just absolutely wonderful. And uh, and and I know that one mess not necessarily doesn't relate to the other, Gusto. But I mean, you know, where did your father's love of horses start? Was it something from his childhood that he just grew up with, or that was it something that developed later in his life? always loved riding horses he used to like uh you know the the big spaniard horses you know uh uh and the loses you know he's, he's, he's he used to love riding horses um um actually the day before he had his plane accident he was you know riding all day you always remember that he always remembers that day uh, very clearly and he always talks about riding horses and his love for horses uh, actually just send them you know uh you know like uh, four to six saddles that he bought. He wanted more more saddles to to go to the farm, so I sent him some saddles. And uh, and he, he's a he's somebody that really really enjoys horseback riding, like I do. Um, and so it's it's something that you know that organization. Afterwards, you know, if you send me a link, maybe you know uh, you know we could help out in you know in any any way we can. And uh, probably hopefully when I go to Tennessee, maybe even go visit him. So it'll be something real cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm posting the link in the chat and I'll certainly send it to you, Huso, and I, 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 I greatly appreciate that. As, as, I, as I was talking to you before the show and as, as my audience knows, is I've, I've pledged to donate a very small amount each week to char these charities that are chosen and selected and spotlighted. And, and I thought this was just a great, uh, this, was just a, this would be a great way to honor your father and his, his love of horses and also the, the service that you and him both gave to this country. And uh, Well, just, I, I, did not, I'm not, I did not serve. I'm not a veteran. So, okay. Uh, excuse me. No, no, I did not serve. My my dad did, but I did not. No. Well, is there is there often fond of saying is that when a when a family member serves, you serve also? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm extremely proud of what he what he served. So, uh, and you know, and everybody that has uh, family members or, or or that or know people that have served, you always have to respect them, because that's something you do by by vocation. You know, there's there's way more sacrifice than rewards except the personal reward that you get by, you know, uh, you know, doing something great for a country, you know? 100%. Um, 100%. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk, uh, really excited to pay some close attention to this program. I, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of canines for warriors, which kind of does something similar with, with, with dogs and with veterans and, um, and, you know, the equine programs, I mean, are just, uh, are just really, really fantastic. And, and this was when it was actually recommended to me by a couple of people. And, and I can see why they're they're It's a great organization that they've done some really great work and, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's veteran owned and operated and, um, and it's just a it's a it's just it's just a truly fantastic organization so um um thank you to your father for his service thank you to jason for his service and and for all the men and women who served in the uniform uh 
for this for this great country that we love so dearly. It, it, it certainly means a lot to us. So thank you. Thank you. So um, kind of moving uh, moving along to the last couple of questions here, Justo, for tonight. Um, I, I thought it'd be really, really interesting to talk about a couple of other items here. You know the um, the uh, you know this this past year has been in, has been incredibly difficult for, for you know for obvious reasons with the, the the whole worldwide pandemic and everything we kind of alluded to it earlier with some of the uh, the efforts that your 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 family has already had already done and it just made it kind of not easy but easier and um, but you've also your your family's also helped out a lot of other companies as they were kind of trying to you know reopen and 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 figure out their way in this this new COVID world so to speak is that right? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, information that you know best practices that we handle. We also had uh, disinfection tunnels for our employees, and you know, we provided you know information on how other companies could use the same tunnels. So when people go into this in, into that, they'll get sprayed, and you know, be disinfected. You know, do uh, you know hand washing themselves and, and stuff like that. So you know, we we provided information to other manufacturers to be able to do that. We also uh, uh, my dad and also my brother also helped out uh, donating um, uh, those tunnels to and product to to the hospital system in Dan Lee. So you know the doctors and the patients that would go into the to, into the into the hospitals will also be able to, to take advantage of these dis, disinfection tunnels. It's unbelievable. The um, so. You know, with news of the vaccine that was released earlier this year, that we kind of it kind of signaled the uh, I guess the uh, the the beginning of the end. We're all hoping, right? Um, you know, and so with this kind of coming into effect now, and I know you've still you've been on the road and you've actually traveled to Honduras several times during this during this difficult time and everything to keep keep operations going and keep keep the momentum that you've built so far. What what are you looking forward to personally? The most once once things kind of return to normal, we're we're all hoping. Well, I think that everybody wants, uh, you know, I, you know, we're unfortunately for a lot of the northern states, but you know, I think Texas also suffered a lot because of the cold weather. I mean, cold weather is probably one of the and snow and a lot of snow, probably you know, it's one of the worst things that you, you get depressed. And then you also <laughs> have the pandemic, and you know, the kids not able to go to school. You know, we're very lucky, I, I would say, kind of like you in Texas, that, you know, we kind of live probably more normal than, than, than most of our states. But uh, I, I think as warmer weather gets uh, gets uh, closer and also the vaccination also starts to advance in a more rapid way, I think we're, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm looking to, to normalize things. You know, I'm looking forward also to get the vaccine. We have to wait, wait our turn, uh, you know, because of the age groups. And, you know, we have to give priority to the frontline people. And, you know, that's that's fair. That's only fair. But, you know, travel has been limited to what, you know, to, to a lot because not everybody is is taken into their stores, you know, the amount of people that they need, uh, uh, you know, to, to hang around in the lounges and smoke in the lounges. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, curbside and, you know, limited amount of people that could go into a humidor. So, you know, you have to respect that. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, while people dealing in a pandemic, go and visit them and, and you know, and try to, you know, uh, spend time and, 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 and you know, you, you need to, you need to do it when, when it's right. So I don't know, I don't want to, you know, be a burden 
to a lot of people by traveling. And also my wife is also worried too. Like I said, you know, within uh, the people that we know and, and uh, you know, several people have passed away that, you know, uh, that we we have known and you, you never know how, how this pandemic may affect somebody. It's, it's a coin toss. You know, some might not feel anything and it'll be fine, but some other people do, do get really affected and, you know, and, and get really, really sick. No, it's absolutely true. And that kind of kind of spearheads my next uh, the, the my next question, uh, which is, uh, you know, with the um, with this new year, uh, TP has recently announced that they are moving forward with having their their trade show coming up here in um, May. And then PCA, uh, for all intents and purposes, is still on the books and scheduled to happen. What what is what is JRE Tobacco's intention as far as the TPE show and and also with uh, the upcoming show at PCA? Is this something that are y'all uh, full steam ahead and going to be able to participate, or um, are you uh, waiting waiting and seeing? What's the what's the decision there? I think the proper thing to do is we need to wait uh, to see what's happening. You know, there's there's still a lot of restrictions going on, uh, you know, in many businesses and many locations in different states. And uh, we also need to know, you know, if, if, if we attend, if, if, if a lot of the stores are going to go somehow or another, we need to kind of have a head count and see how successful a TPE or, or a, uh, you know, the, in a way, the good thing about TPE, there is, you know, they, they also do uh, uh, all the other alternative products. I think they do, uh, the, you know, the, the, the vape and other stuff. So that show that just not, does not just, depend on, on cigars, but, you know, to be, I don't know what restrictions are going to be imposed into when, when you go into the trade show, or if we're going to be having wearing masks and, you know, if, if a lot of the stores are going to travel, uh, are they going to have the budgets to go? Because no matter what happens, you know, there is still going to be an expense where many of these stores have been, you know, hurt during the, during the shutdowns. So we, we, we we'll, we'll sit back and wait and, and, and probably speak to all the reps and, and, probably try to get a head count to see how, uh, you know, the, the, the trade shows are looking. Yeah, I think that's an approach a lot of people are taking. And, uh, you know, you know, according to some officials, you know, it's it, by the time, you know, the summer comes around a lot, a lot more, I mean, more and more people are becoming vaccinated. It's, it's a slower rollout than I think most people anticipated. Uh, I still know some frontline workers who have not been vaccinated and, and want to be right? There's that choice involved. And in some cases, it depends on your profession. I think they're requiring it in some professions. Uh, my parents who are uh, elderly um, and uh, have some actually health complications uh, are still not vaccinated and they've registered as well. So it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's definitely a, a wait and see, but uh, every day gets better and better. Every day gets closer and closer. And uh, the good news, Husto, is you're going to get vaccinated before me because uh, um, H H H. I rather be, I rather wait and be younger, but I you know that's, well, not, that's not to me now. <laughs> I was gonna well, I was gonna say you also travel as well, and uh, you know for my primary my primary uh, work and job, I work from home, and uh, you know I'm I'm relatively young and and I'm, and I'm in good health, so basically I'm 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 bottom of the list I think is where I'm gonna stand, but um, you know it'll it'll come when it comes and and. Uh, and uh, we're all looking forward to a return to, to, to normal. Um, the, with, the, uh, with this particular news though, of uh, specifically uh, in the tobacco industry, you know, the FDA uh, uh, had a 
wonderful crushing defeat by in you know recently judge meet menta of had ruled down that the uh, fda regulations had not uh, proved their point when it came to uh, substantial equivalence and everything so it kind of it, it certainly hasn't ended the, the, the battle of the you know the battle that we find ourselves in is, is certainly not over by any stretch of the imagination but it has been stalled significantly by this recent de decision now the iroa family has sitting on a lot of predicate items so there's a lot of that necessarily doesn't affect you but with this kind of stay of 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 the deeming regulations, has this kind of opened the door for you all to get a little bit more creative um, uh, in the creative process and potentially expand uh, in ways that you, you know, potentially weren't thinking about before? Uh, well, you know, uh, like like you said, we have so many predicate products that that you know we have still yet to come out with, and one of the things that we're you know we are with. with we're, we're, we leave nothing to chance. So we anything that we need to request substantial equivalence, we're, re, we're requesting it. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it, you know, it, all battles that, 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 that are being fought, you know, are, are, are very promising. But at the same time, you have to be, you also got to have a plan B. So because, you know, a lot of a lot of these uh, situations, you know, a lot of the people that work in FDA, they're career guys. And, you know, a lot of them are anti-smoking and they really have not understood, the, you know, the, you know, how, how small our industry is. You know, if you look at our population, this is, you know, probably one cigar per person a year. Uh, you know, if you were to divide the vinyl set premium cigars that we sell. And that's, that's, that's something that really, you know, somehow we need to be able to, 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 to which I think they have done in, in a very, in a, in a great way, explaining how to, how, how, and, and because FDA has not gotten their game together. I think they don't understand the cigar industry that well yet. They, they certainly don't, um, but it's, it's become an educational experience. I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to, um, you know, movers and shakers on that front, you know, uh, CRA, uh, PCA, of course, uh, Director Pierce and uh, Joshua Burskia, who I had on the show a few weeks ago. Well, we talked a great deal at length about that. So, it's it certainly is promising, especially with what they were able to do this year. I think it was a very good year for the premium cigar industry when it comes to the legislative front, and uh, we uh, we certainly made a, won a major battle, but it's in no way, shape, or form over. Um, we talked about how you know JRE had launched in 2015. You guys took it over in 2016, so. For all intents and purposes, it's one of the younger companies on the market today. You know, we've already talked about you have a lot of predicate stuff, so a lot of this doesn't necessarily affect you, but it does in a, in a, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. I'm curious to get your opinion on this, Husto. Do you think that, do you think we'll see a major launch of any new companies within this kind of time frame because of the door that's kind of been opened here, or, or do you think the industry, the way it looks right now, is 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 probably going to be the way in terms of companies, you know, the amount of companies, do you think it's going to be about the same in the next five years? Or do you think that you were going to see a resurgence of new companies? You know, I, some, you know, it, it all depends because, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of companies are, are not vertically integrated and they, you know, they just, uh, you know, they, they, they have some, somebody that, you know, manufactures and creates a blend for them and they start marketing. So I, I don't, I don't really have a pulse on that. Uh, you know, from, from our point of view, we want to stick to our core lines and, you know, follow a, a very strict 
but you know, very conservative uh, uh, path, and we would continue to do because you know it's, it's you know it's still a very challenging industry. You know, it, it takes a lot of time and, and dedication to to be able to be successful, and uh, you know, it's 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 something that, and you know, it's it's something that I, I in our case, we're you know we're we're going to be conservative about it. And, uh, and, and you never know, you know, there's a lot of people say, hey, can you manufacture something for me? And, and I first try to talk them out and then, you know, if they want to do something, you know, then they'll do it. But I think starting from scratch is, is, is tough. Believe me, I've been, I've, been, I've been feeling the pain for the last four or five years. Well, certainly. Well, Huso, this is, uh, this is going to be my last question for the night. And, uh, but before I ask it, um, um, I, I always take this time to always thank my guest. I, I realize uh, what an ask it is to come onto my show. Sunday nights are always family time. Uh, even in the times of COVID where we are spending more and more time at home, it's, it's always, it's always the time to be spending with family. So for you to sacrifice a couple hours to sit down and have a conversation with me uh, means such a great deal to me. So thank you so much for the privilege and the honor to speak with you tonight. It's been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, I've got one last question for you, but I just wanted to take the moment to, to really thank you uh, for, for your time tonight. Well, thank you. And your, your family time, too. So don't worry about it. You're part of the family. <laughs> well, I, I'm certainly honored. I appreciate that. Um, so this is this is my curveball segment. So this is not this is meant to be just for fun. And I, I was thinking about some parts of our conversation that we were going to be having. And we were talking about so this is kind of a two part question. And like I said, it's just fun. We were talking a little bit about your, um, your the schools that your father and you attended, and there's some um, uh, some very famous alumni as we talked about, astronauts, baseball players, and many, many more. Um, but specifically, the the baseball player and the the baseball players and astronauts grabbed my attention. Alan Shepard also attended one of the schools that you guys attended. Uh, Charlie Duke, as we mentioned, and then of course Neil Arm, famous Neil Armstrong. Uh, uh, with your with your was a high school classmate of your father's the uh, so it begs the question um, who's so would you if in another life if you had a choice between becoming a professional baseball player and an astronaut which would you have become probably astronaut <laughs> I think you, you you write more history on that one well, I and I, I figured you're going to say this because I, from my from my understanding, you're you're a big you're a big sci-fi fan. You you're a big Star Trek fan, right? Yeah, actually, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a very I'm a, I'm a really a, a, a sci-fi guy. So, how did you get into Star Trek? Was this something you, as a kid, that you just really well, liked? Or you, know, you, liked, you know, I love Star Wars. You know, you know when they first came out. I mean, Star Wars was probably something that you know blew everybody away. But you know, Star Trek Cap Captain Kirk was you know pretty cool. And then uh, I'm actually watching, is it uh, Westgate right now? The, the one that is uh, a virtual world of cowboys, which right. is that. So I'm, I'm, I just finished season one. So, and, and you know, the thing is that you're sitting at Westworld, home. Westworld. Yeah. West, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, I'm watching right now, you know, it's because you're spending so much time at home. That's, you know, that's, you got to find something to do and you go, you go nuts if you can't travel. So, you know, you're catching up with a lot of this stuff and you try to, you know, find something that, you know, at least, uh, gets your, gets your mind off of what's going on. That's cool. I, I, I was hoping you could say astronaut, I, you know, as much as I love baseball, the idea of being an astronaut, um, is something that 
has always kind of just I've always kind of really gravitated towards. I love I love space history. I love uh, you know I've watched you know countless documentaries. I love I love the film. You know we talked a little bit about this uh, before the show. I love the film Apollo thirteen. I thought Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, just great great film. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's just something I've always kind of gravitated towards. So in recent news, you know, we, we, we landed another rover on Mars, right? Um, and so, you know, it's the, it's the red planet. You know, we're doing some studies on, you know, the soils and things like that. So I, I, it kind of begs the question, um, you know, it, it, we, as we mentioned, your, your father has more energy than most of us do considering his, considering his age and the amount of time that he's been doing this. Do you think, given the opportunity, would the Iroas jump at the chance to grow tobacco on Mars if it was deemed possible? Huh. Well, we have to, you know, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, as long as you could be able to buy it back here, because it's probably going to be pretty expensive <laughs> to get tobacco back here. <laughs> right. Uh, but for fun, yeah, I guess so. If we were, if we were to send the plants over there, then, you know, but. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a pretty expensive cigar. By the time it comes back, it's like a hundred thousand dollars Corona, you know. At this point, you're lucky. For luck, yeah. You know, someone would buy that stuff, though. I mean, there's there's a market for everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Some crazy. Absolutely, I'm going to smoke the first uh, cigar made from tobacco from Mars. I mean, that'd be awesome. Um, Oh man, I, I mean, if well, giving your giving your your the family's proclivity for farming and everything if anyone could develop products on on the you know the soils of mars I'm, I'm sure your family would be at the top of the list to be able to accomplish it for sure no i appreciate that <laughs> well so that was my curveball segment and that this uh this concludes our interview tonight i i just again i can't thank you enough i had such a great time nerding out with you on on some of these these aspects and the incredible history that your family has given the industry and and uh it's just been a, a fantastic opportunity to sit down with you. And I can't, again, I can't thank you enough. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. Oh, I thank you for the time and for the opportunity. And, and I want to wish everybody, uh, uh, you know, a, a good night to everyone. And, and thank you for, for, you know, taking the time also to be with us. And, and I want to wish you Bear and, and your family the very best uh, for 2021. And hopefully we'll get to see each other soon. And, uh, and things are going to get really uh, way better pretty soon. I think uh, 2021 is going to be overall uh, a, a good year. Absolutely. And our good friend Will Cooper said that that drip irrigation system that you guys have would be quite pricey on Mars. So Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Coop, did you I'll chime in there? Give somebody a cigar to smoke it up there. And I, that's probably a way better way to, you know, get, get, get some attention. There you go. Absolutely. To our audience, I really appreciate everyone out there for joining us tonight. I appreciate all your likes, shares, and comments along the way. Uh, we ask if you are, are a fan of Ellos Fumar Takes, you continue to uh, check out a list of upcoming guests uh, on our Facebook page, Ellos Fumar. Amanda McAuliffe will be coming up uh, in two weeks. Pete Johnson, Tatuaje Cigars, next week. Um, really excited to have those uh, those folks and uh, more guests will be coming out uh, later on in the coming weeks. So check it out. You can always uh, you can always check out our YouTube page. I'll also Fumar as well. And if you are a listener of our podcast, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean or iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you download, subscribe, review. 
And uh, if you already are a subscriber, I ask that you do one thing. Please unsubscribe, but don't forget to resubscribe because that actually really helps my number so I can continue to invite incredible guests like the guest of honor this evening, Mr. Justo Iroa. And uh, we appreciate everyone out there. This is our 158 take. Live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas, I'm Barry Duplissy as always. He's Justo Iroa. And guess what, everyone? We'll see you next time. Have a good night, guys. Thank you so much, Bear.